Hello, people, and thank you for joining me and my friends on the Game Files podcast. My name is Matthew, and I will be hosting discussions on all things dice throwing, button mashing, page turning, and screen viewing from the past, present, and future of those things that occupy our spare time. And today, we have two special guests. We have my good friend, Mad Marty. Hello. And then uh, my other great friend, Radis. Hello, everybody. Today, we're basically going to have a conversation about tabletop RPGs, uh, things that we've, uh, you know, how we got introduced to it, some of our best experiences with it, and we're going to lead into some other, you know, fun things as well. So I'll just go ahead and lead off just real quick. So my my first real experience with RPGs was actually with Mad Marty there. He was uh, on a lot of drugs uh, from a surgery, of course, and uh, he basically took some Crayolas with a uh, notepad and drew a bunch of random characters that were very similar to villains and heroes from comic books. Slightly different, not the exact same guys. But we basically sat down one day. Um, I believe it was at was that at my house or your house? Do you remember? That was your house. That was my house. Yeah. And um, basically, we started off as, "Hey, you're a bounty hunter, and you're going to hunt these guys down." And it went for thirty years after that. But um, basically, you know, it, it, <laughs> it basically, you know, we call that Gen One. Um, as far as our groups go with that game. But that was my first experience. Um, and again, we still play it off and on to this day, like 30 years later. So it's pretty awesome. So, uh, Marty, what do you think? What do you got? Well, as far as uh, as far as far uh, your first experience, I'll kind of um, talk about that in a second. But my first experience with uh, Tabletop RPG was a home a homebrewed Dungeons & Dragons game made through my brother and one of the neighborhood kids. Uh, so uh, back in those days, it was all six-sided dice, and they actually created a quest. And they actually had a uh, an actual map drawn out, and they had the folder, the, uh, the blocker folder set up so you couldn't see what was going on. And uh, it uh, that's actually the, the my true story. I must have been... Uh, eight years old at the time, maybe. We were playing in my parents' garage back in my childhood home, and that's how I got started with Tabletop, which eventually moved to, uh, you know, the first beginner's book of Dungeons & Dragons. Uh, the game that you referred to was uh, some years later, but uh, that's that was kind of the beginning of my path. So what about you, Radis? Well, mine was actually the game probably however many years after your first one while we were in Jefferson. Uh, first started really hanging out with you guys and then moving in across the street from Jeff. That's when I started playing with him. And then probably like a month after that, really jumped into the Star Wars the original uh, Western Games D6 version. I loved it. Um, what, how old were we? 15, 16 at the time. So I really didn't know a whole lot about it, you know, growing up as a son of a pastor and at the, that time a deacon, you know, D&D <laughs> was kind of a four-letter word in, in our house. But they let me get into Star Wars because, like, oh, that's, you know, Star Wars, sci-fi, fantasy. <laughs> Dark side, nonetheless. Yeah, yeah well, you know, they, they, they love the movies just as much as I do. So I grew up on Star Wars. So I was able to finagle my way into tabletop that way. Um, so yeah, it's, a little it's, bit later in life than you guys. But being the older son, the oldest of the siblings, I didn't really have a brother or a sister anyone would bring it into 
and dude, my sister's four years younger than me. She did try Star Wars. When I got into it, she played like two times, and then she went up to her own thing. But so. that's pretty funny. It's the whole <laughs> you said the whole thing, son of a pastor, and it's like, yeah, the whole satanic panic from back in the day. Yep. Every, oh yeah, was back terrified. in the day, well, sixth and seventh grade, where they're like, you know, having meetings in the the school uh, gym and be like, you know what ACDC stands for? It's the Antichrist, <laughs> devil's children. You can't let your kids listen to that heavy metal. Uh, you know, and then of course there was the the truly horrific stuff that happened with the D and D players, several suicides and a couple of people dying. But once you get into that crowd and you start playing with people, you understand that it's just like anything else. Some people just don't have the mental ability to get in those kind of games, and that can be anything. They can even just playing poker. Poker can be can cause really really bad things. Is poker a bad game? No, but if you're not equipped to deal with it, you probably shouldn't be playing it. And with a game that really relies heavily on imagination and opening yourself up and really just kind of going, you know, life is what it is, but here's, here's a fantasy. Here's, here's a movie that I can live in. It's my character and I can do whatever I want, you know, and you drag Ray, into it. So I understand that. Raiders makes a real good point too. You know, you could, when you think about uh, hobbies and activities of young people today, you know, a lot of them all go into the full first person shooters these days you know, it's all console gaming. It's not even PC a whole lot this, in this day and age. Um, but, you know, parents today might actually applaud the old school D&D of the late 80s, early 90s, because it did require a strong degree of ma- imagination. And, you know, well, I had, and mathematic skills and communication skills and, you know, yeah, social and, skills of some sort. Yeah, and really it was, you know... It, uh, you know, I would say all of us were somewhat of an outcast. I mean, we're all good now. We have great friends with people and, you know, all that stuff's in the past. But as far as, like, kind of being the outsiders a lot of the time, that was a way to get in with a group of people that were all, you know, kind of going through the same things as far as that goes. Yeah. Uh, and right. and it's something that for me personally, like, that helped me get through a lot of tough times. Like, as much as we joke about it, you know, today, you know, the whole the, the friendships that I built from there, which obviously they're going today since I'm talking to you guys, um, helped me get right. through those rough patches for me because I, I had kind of, you know, we were talking about mental health issues. I mean, I'm not afraid to say that uh, sometimes I suffer from depression. And, you know, one of the ways that I was able to get through that was hanging out with you guys, playing these games, kind of detaching from reality for a short period of time, you know, and then coming right. back to it and, and just having that kind of break from from you know the thought processes that i had so it's pretty pretty awesome all together and to to go with what you were saying uh, marty um you know it's 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 one of those things that would be applauded you know today um maybe not people will still be like that's nerdy and all that stuff but you know is it would you rather your kid sit down around the table you know roll some dice have an imagination do those things or would you rather him sit in front of a tv and play Fortnite for 12 hours a day or more Right, you know, um, yep. which hey, if that's what you do, that's what you do. But just realistic, yeah. realistically, for for young kids especially, I mean, that's definitely not productive at all. It's just well, I mean, it is what it is. Got to knock, knock the current generation or anything like that. No. You know, just it's what it is. Uh, but uh, you know, ironically, you kind of mentioned like uh, you know RPGs and tabletops being the activity of the outcasts growing up. 
it was kind of ironic because, uh, you know, in my early college years, I was running games for uh, sophomores and juniors in high school. Yeah. And I was having uh, more preppy or jack-style kids playing. They just ate it right up. Oh, you know? absolutely. Because it is a, well, it's a blank canvas that they can paint their own reality, and it's appealing. I'm sorry, Radis, you're going to say something? No, I was just going to say, I think a lot of it, though, a lot of that is a stigma from the mid-'80s to the mid-'90s definitely changed. And you have a lot of kids, and the, the people you're talking about are, are more of a, you know, they may have been preppy, but they have a very artistic mentality, personality, because I know who you're talking about. Yeah. Um, so I think that, you know, when you go from, you know, 19 was it 76 when Gary Gygax created D&D to today, the stigma walking into a gaming shop now, and you walk in there, and last time I was in the fancy shop here in St. Louis, I think there was more women in that shop than there were guys. When we were younger, you walk into uh, Clark's or you walk into TSY, you might be the only three dudes in there. And that's because you're the only three dudes in there besides two guys working. <laughs> You know, now right. I go to fancy shop, and if it's if it's a Tuesday or release day, there's fifteen twenty people, and that shop is maybe four hundred square feet. Yeah, and like I said, it's half women, half men. Sometimes it's more women, and they're not just picking up comics; they're picking up board games, they're picking up D and D, they're picking up Pathfinder. You know, so I think the stigma has kind of gone away for you know that late teen to twenties, and you know even in the early thirties. You know, because technically that's still generation younger than us uh but i still see that you know the 10 to 16 year olds are still sitting in front of their tvs playing video games so yeah definitely and you're you know you, you <laughs> I, so you know uh if my wife listens to this that's fine and i'm okay with that but like you're talking about the the female aspect of it you know it's it's one of those things like for for me personally growing up that was one of the things that was potentially i was gonna say potentially sad for me was i'm like man i'm a nerd girls aren't gonna like me i'm gonna die alone and then you know you fall into that group and i mean our group you know our our group from high school is it's not 50 50 but it's i don't know 60 40 something like that yeah no, we, we, our group is yeah and and as far as male to, to female ratio and it's like you know we're all still friends with them they you know it was just, I don't know. It was just a way for us all to get together and have fun. And, you know, honestly, you connected in, in, in ways. And I mean, you know, even my, even my wife played back in the day. So it's, well, it is what it is. It is worthy to note, though, that our generation evolved with the gaming as well. Even yeah. though, even though, you know, it started out as Dungeons and Dragons, you know, by high school, which was roughly. Uh, eight, nine years later, everything turned into like World of Darkness, the whole goth aspect. You know, The Crow was really big back then. and uh, Best movie ever. What, yeah, White, White Wolf, Vampire, uh, Vampire, Werewolf, Mage. You know, that it really appealed to that whole uh, gothic subculture. And gaming itself kind of evolved from more dice-based... You know, dice rule books to flat dialogue and action so right. well, and it also got out of that fantasy genre because yeah. no matter how much is ever accepted the fantasy genre is still kind of it's out there a lot of people do play it but if you sit down it's like hey i've got a game you know and you're just saying going game imagination for adults 
and we're going to go and pretend that we're elves, dwarves, and kill dragons. Some people are like, okay, that's cool. But if you go, hey, you can also, or we can play this other game where it's same thing, dice imagination, but you get to be an FBI spy in New York uncovering whatever. Or, you know, or you're a high school jock who all of a sudden wakes up and finds out he's a werewolf. You know, in a modern setting, something that they can, they don't have to rely as much on imagination to really get them into the RPG quicker. Because they go, oh, I'm a high school student. I'm with the high school. I'm not werewolf. But when you tell me that you're standing on the 50-yard line in the varsity football practice field, they can picture that immediately and then get into it more. Whereas if you're like, you're standing on, you know, the, the court polis of a castle overlooking three red dragons flying at you, a lot of people are like, a little bit harder to imagine that. So, yeah, I think White Wolf was, was great for that, just opening up and going, okay, here's here's a less rulesy more modern but still all fantasy because werewolves and vampires and all of that may or may not exist um <laughs> so he really opened it up so where you know more people go oh okay so this isn't you know i'm not a, a knight i'm not a, an elf i'm i'm me but now i'm me in a world where oh crap i got bit by them by vampire so now i'm a vampire so i don't know i just think that opened up a lot more and, and broke a lot of stigmas and I think really good for the tabletop industry from a player's perspective. It kind of hurt it in the, the business aspect, but that's a different topic for a different podcast. <laughs> Can I ask you guys a question really quick? Sure. All three of us have both uh, have been GMs and uh, players. Which do you prefer to do more, be a player or be a GM? And, how, and how, if you were to talk to the audience about what the appeal is to each, what would it be? Well, I would say, and I mean, this is probably obvious that everybody should start off as a player, you know, um, get your feet wet, kind of, you know, uh, play, play underneath a couple of different GMs, storytellers, dungeon masters, whatever you want to call them. Um, I'd say though, as far as what my favorite thing to do is, um, Man, that's that's actually tough because some of my favorite moments were as a as a storyteller. Um, however, uh, I do enjoy being the hero. So, man, I don't know. I fifty fifty. I, it could go either way for me. It just kind of depends on my mood. Um, but yeah, I don't know. What about you, Radis? Uh, it might really all depend on the group. If I've Agreed. got a good group. Well, when I say, let me, let me clarify this. So if I have a group of players that are, and I don't want to say good, because it's a really horrible description, but you have people who are going to get into it, who will actually, you know, understand the game, and get into their character. Now, they may not be the best, you know, their character may not be min, max, or whatever that. They may just be numerically, by the game standards, completely useless. But they're going to get into it, and they're going to enjoy it, and they're going to make the rest of the group enjoy it. I don't mind GMing. I actually enjoy GMing those kind of groups. If I have a group where no one takes a lead, or if the group is of weaker gamers, I don't enjoy running those as much, because I my gaming style is I feed off my players. If my players aren't giving me anything to feed off of, I lose interest in, in running really quick. Because I don't feel that I'm giving them anything that they want to do. So for me, like I said, it's really on that. I enjoy both. I will do both. Um, 
right now I'm just in a player mode, so I've been playing Pathfinder with some buddies from Arkansas, again, via the internet, and I'm enjoying playing. Um, I had a group that I was running for a while. We had two of our two of my players moved off to Houston, so that, that group's kind of kind of dead in the water right now. Um, I was enjoying running them. They were beginning to open up and begin to give me some stuff to feed off of. I bought a, a pre-mod for 5th edition, was running through it. Um, only one of them out of the five had ever played ever before. So I was like, all right. So I knew it was going to be a little bit of an issue. But I was enjoying that. So I, my, I really, it's feeding off the group for me. What about you, Jeff? Marty? Well, it's Steve? <laughs> Joe? Whatever you want to be called? <laughs> Marianne? It's all good. It's all good. Um, as far as, I've always been more successful as a GM for the most part. Um, although in Put you out the years, airlock. Yeah, in recent years, I've been more leaning towards player. But one thing that I've always enjoyed as a GM, you know you got yourself a group that's really enjoying themselves. And this was particularly true with the homebrew, with the homebrew games. If I threw in a character, if I like got NPC made an appearance that generated an immediate uh, strong emotional reaction, it's like right. all of a sudden this guy shows up and they're like, and the players are all like, kill him, you know. It's a, it's a very good sign that, or if, uh, if, uh, if the players lose and they get emotionally upset about it, to losing to a specific uh, enemy of theirs, you can create rivalries. And when you get that kind of emotional reaction, yeah, it's a real enjoyable experience for the players. Uh, the downside to being a GM, of course, is just the constant idea generation that's required. So, it, I mean, for players out there that want to do tabletop, you know, if, you, if you're into, uh, you know, creating the entire storyboard and uh, keeping the engine running, so to speak, you, it works more towards the GM. But if you want to kind of just follow through and just kind of exist in the world that's creative, it's better to be a player. At least that's what I'd, that's what I'd say to start off. Yeah, I would agree with that. And, you know you're talking about feeding off of your players. One of my favorite things is when I, and, and this people probably disagree with me, but when I spend a bunch of time coming up with some kind of idea or direction or something that the story is going to go. And then somebody just, I mean, not in a jerk kind of way, but just throws a wrench into it and makes me have to think right. on my feet. And actually like the challenge of that is the most fun that I have doing the GM thing, because it's like, okay, Everything that I had planned and thought about and whatever, hey, maybe we use it later. But right now we're going down a different path and we have to just we have to roll with it. Otherwise the, the game's right. gonna fall apart. And then coming, that's what I was talking about. And then coming out I'm of sorry. that. No, it's okay. And then coming out of it and you know, where everybody's like, Man, like I can't believe that happened. And it's like, Man, I I can't either <laughs> because I, I didn't know what I was gonna do in that case. But just yeah, being that's, able that's to talk about the strong players. Yeah. Yep. I tell you what, though, Matthew, when uh, stuff like that does happen, it makes a session that much more memorable. You know, I still got guys twenty years later still talking. Oh yeah, you remember that one that one time when uh, we opened the door and this thing came right at you? You know, uh, I'm speaking in very general terms, of course. Sure. But uh, the more fluid a GM and player is willing to be. You know, the more memorable the session, the more enjoyable the session will be. So that's just a thought. So, yeah, definitely, definitely agree with that. And I, I'll say that that 
the the best sessions that I ever had uh, as a player were actually under you, uh, Jeff, Marty, Steve, Bob, Joe. Um, <laughs> Marianne. That, I mean, that being said, yeah, that being said, I think I only ever played maybe two or three sessions under under Radis over the years, just because it, that's just kind yeah, of it, that's just the way it kind of fell yeah. together. Um, and I don't. Yeah, I didn't run much in Rockford. And I don't think you've actually. I don't think you've played under me at all. I don't think I've ever Ooh. run. Yeah, have I ever run a campaign yep. with you? Which one? Yep, I played Gunslinger. I'm the only Gunslinger oh. to have survived your game. That is correct. The only Gunslinger to survive Stein. <laughs> That's awesome. For the viewership out there, that is uh, that is a homebrewed game that Matthew cooked up years ago. Very good one at that too. I still actually, I was thumbing through just just yesterday. I was thumbing through the the pages for that i honestly i was thinking about i was on the fence because i was talking about doing uh running the game which for those listening the game is a generic name because we never named the game so we just call it the game to this day and we'll never name it i mean even if even if somehow we published it or like let's say you know my daughter gets a hold of the notes you know 20 30 years from now when i'm dead and decides to Hopefully not that. <laughs> I'm just saying, and she decides to put it out. I, I'm going to like basically. We're not that old. We're not that old. But um, I definitely want to have like a page in there where it's like, this game will only ever be called The Game. <laughs> so so back in the day, day with the homebrewed games, it was, hey, what are we playing tonight? Are we going to play The Game or are we going to play Matt's Game? <laughs> so I didn't name that one either. It's just, it is what it is. Actually, I actually have another question for you guys, and I, I want to get your feedback on this. Sure. So, for the audience out there, why do tabletop? Hmm. There's a couple of good reasons. Um, honestly, like you, for the most part, you don't need any money to play it. I mean, maybe a couple of bucks to get get a few dice, and then that's it. Um, you know, and it's some sheets of paper. Um, because I mean, honestly, like. Though I mean, all of our stuff, like when we played when we were kids, for the most part, it was just we we created ourselves. We, you know, it, it probably the, all the all the supplies combined for for what we've done for thirty years is probably thirty bucks. You know, as far as being able to play that game, um, I mean, you can spend a ton of money on base books for other games that are published, and that's that's cool, totally cool with that. But even for those, I mean, really, only one person needs to buy anything. And then the sky's the limit. So um, the affordability of it is amazing and the longevity, um, but also like just the the friendships that you build within there. Because, you know, back when like our parents were kids and their parents were kids and everything else, like what did, what did they do? You know, what did they do for, for fun? You know, they ran around outside, played with sticks. I, I don't know. But or when they were a little bit older, you know, what did they do? They went hunting. They you know, did things like that. Well, the thing about it is today, like it's hunt, you know, I'm not saying I'd never go hunting, but realistically, like that's just not as big of a thing anymore. You know, it's just, you know, this is kind of our form of the hunt in my opinion. Like, cause you know, when my dad, before he passed, what would he do when he went out deer hunting? He'd go with a group of his really good buddies and they'd go and they'd have their, basically have their adventure, you know, hopefully bag a deer, and you know that kind of thing and then tell stories about it well what do we do the exact same thing where it, but just you know in our heads obviously where we go on our adventure we do our thing we bag the bad guy the whatever 
And then what do we do? We still talk about it, you know, even to this day. Like, I mean, how many times do, do we bring up, you know, Jeff's baloney dice rolls because he wants to kill somebody? You know, it's, yeah. it's we <laughs> even odd, <laughs> even odd. Uh, you yeah. failed. <laughs> he doesn't let us see it, you know. <laughs> Um, For the record, everybody, my Achilles heel has always been, uh, I'm probably the worst, I'm like the opposite of the, of the rules Nazi. So I'm Yeah, he pretty much lets everything happen. Yeah. Except for when he, when he, <laughs> yeah, when he wants somebody dead, they're going to die. That's just, there's no, there's no escaping it. He's like, you will go down this path and you will suffer. I swear I have calmed down in that in the last 10 years. Yeah, I haven't. <laughs> Which which that brings up a question. So, you know, we've all we've all been GMs, and we're talking about that. Like, what is your what is your favorite kill? Like as, for a player, like what was the best? Whether whether it was intentional or that's just how the dice rolled or whatever. What was your favorite death of a of a character that you that you were part of? Um. Are we talking in time that I've killed a player? Because I've killed lots of players. Oh, I know. But what was your favorite one? Or, or like your your most memorable or favorite or, you know, like which one tripped your trigger the best? Well, actually, I, I know this is a little bit off from what you're asking, so just kind of bear with me for a second. Sure. Uh, we have a mutual friend. We'll just call him Ryan. Uh, he was... Uh, <laughs> back, in, back in these days, he was probably uh, 16, 17 years old. And he tried so hard to forge uh, a good relationship with an NPC character that he saw as a mentor. And uh, his mentor had another NPC that was his quote-unquote son. So uh, one time I set up a trap where he unwittingly um, had his mentor's son get uh, trapped in a... uh, in a uh, like kind of like a, a clear plastic, unshatterable plastic cell, and I flooded the. Uh, I had the bad guys flood the uh, cell with nerve gas, <laughs> and I described in detail <laughs> this guy that he was trying to protect, hacking up blood because he threw him in a trap that uh, that he unwittingly ca- he he caused this character's death, and it sent Ryan into such a rage. <laughs> to kill the big bad that day, like like I said earlier, you know you you know you got him on the hook if they react that badly to uh, to a character that they favor. You know, it's like killing off your favorite character in a show. <laughs> you know, it's uh, so that I'd, I'd have to say that's my favorite. Uh, de- I favor that even more than a player's death. That's hilarious. <laughs> that's yeah. That's that's I, I like that. What do you got, Radis? I know you've killed many. I have killed enough, but like I said, I don't <laughs> never really jump out. Um, like I said, from a GM aspect, I don't know. Just a player death. I've never really had to set anything up. Most of the time, my players end up killing themselves. Right. So it's not as memorable. I think the most memorable thing, and I wasn't running, I was playing, um, and it's again, it's a little off topic, but is still one of those like memorable aspects of a, a player. When I moved to Heber, uh, let's see, I guess I just got out of high school. We were playing White Wolf every single night. 
So I got off work at 11, went to Buddy's house by 11.30 at 4 or 5 in the morning. We'd stop. i go home, go to bed, get up at 2, go to work, rinse and repeat. We did this for two straight years. And one of my buddies, his girlfriend started playing. We were playing White Wolf. She starts playing a mage. So going through the story and all that, we end up on a submarine. And my mage is a marauder. So I don't worry about who sees me do anything. Hers is not. Hers is a traditional mage. Something happens where the crew of this submarine gets doused in acid and they start to die. She plays a verbena, so she's a life mage. So she starts to heal them. So she takes one of the characters, one of the NPCs who have now had all their skin melted off and puts skin back on them, and she goes to roll. She succeeds on the roll, but then takes a paradox, paradox backlash. She threw the dice across the room because when it hit her, she was like, what? And for two months, she did not cast another spell because it hit her so hard that she completely forgot that they were just mundanes, and she did that. Like, she full-blown was, like, in every situation, like, paranoid from that point forward. And it wasn't character-driven. This was completely the player not realizing to do that. And it was, that is probably one of the most memorable things, just seeing a player get into her character and being a fairly young player, not young age, but young as in her experience, getting that character, and then that one instance hit her to where even, like, seeing her outside of, of work or outside of the game and just hanging out, she'd be talking about it, and you could see it was almost a PTSD in her face when we started talking about the game. She's like, I just don't even know if I can play anymore. And she, she was right there, right back into it, but you can always tell she was, like, three rounds before she would cast anything because she's checking every corner making sure she's not going to kill herself or have anything bad happen. So. That's well, awesome. you know, to kind of, to kind of, uh, to kind of piggyback off what you're saying, Ray, you know, one thing that I've noticed, especially in recent years, is it's just more about telling it, telling good story and interacting with that story. One of the, and I, I say this more so to players these days, one of the worst things they can do as a table tapper is worry too much about self self-preservation. Um, as you know, is apparent oh, with man, our current games. Did, what's that? <laughs> I said as is apparent with our with our current characters. This is correct. Um, but it's, it's if you, if you have a player that's too worried about screwing up or getting his character maimed or something like that, it really does slow down the story. You know, sometimes it's just best to, you know, just take the shot. You know, make that attack or make make that decision and make it quickly. Just as long as you're not trying to be dumb for the sake of being dumb. And let's face it, there are dumb players out there. We've we've come across many. Yeah. But uh, right. I would say to to kind of go along with the you know jumping in there like that's one of the reasons why I I love to both play and GM um, Werewolf the Apocalypse. I mean because that's the whole point. It's you know it's hack and slash. Um, anybody can kind of jump into it real quick and, and get the, you know, get the mechanics down and realizing that the, the predestination of every single character is, is death. I mean, for the most part, I mean, you know, whenever they talk about the prophecies of what's going to come and all this and that, it's like, they all die. The world ends. There's nothing, almost nothing you can do to stop it. It's just about slowing it down. And trying to mitigate, you know, the the re- basically rebirth of things for all intents and purposes. Right. And uh, so, so to go along with that, uh, to kind of go back to the uh, the best death or mo- most favorite death or whatever, 
Now, mine, I was a GM, and I was we were having a campaign of, of Werewolf, and we played this campaign all the way up to, you know, probably days before the apocalypse. And that's why I was actually sad. That game ended there, and I was sad because we were right there. And, and I mean, the, the, there was a lot of character development and, you know, people, I, I felt like the, the players for the most part loved them. I, you know, created some fun little merits for, for Marty's character, you know, the sleep traveling thing because he was very inconsistent about playing. So we'd be like, oh, he fell asleep. And then the three sessions later, oh, he's here. Oh, he sleep traveled. He, he was just able to get there. <laughs> but first up later, I was sick. <laughs> right, but yeah, actually, yeah, you you almost uh, you had the red veins, man. It's creepy. Yeah. So uh, so, anyways, there was a character in that group, and I don't care if he listens to this or not. <laughs> he probably won't. But uh, his, he was his name was EJ. He played a Ahuron Get of Fenris. So basically, the bloodthirsty warriors of bloodthirsty warriors. The thing about him, and I mean, here he was, he, you know, uh, put merits into silver tolerance and all kinds of stuff. So, I mean, essentially, he was kind of like an unstoppable killing machine. That's what he was gearing his character to be. And all the rest of the characters were somewhat well-balanced and complemented each other in the fights, but he was just, I'm going to tear things to pieces. However, he didn't tear things to pieces. Kind of going back to what we were talking about earlier. He was always scared to do stuff. The guy had uh, this weird silver battle axe thing and like all this crazy ability. Like he he should be able to jump into every battle, and even if he does die, he's they're gonna know he was there. Like that's that's what his character was. But he always played it as oh I'm gonna kind of hang back and see what. No, that's not the way you play it. And then the other thing was is he relied like his only the only thing he ever did was. I'm going to swing my axe. I'm going to swing my axe. So I took the axe away. I ba- he basically was in this hunt. We went to the Amazon. He was in this hunt. And somewhere during the hunt, he basically was captured. He woke up with these tattoos around his wrists. Oh, that was the other thing. He could kind of summon it. I kind of allowed whatever they wanted to do. It's fine. Um, but he, So he could summon this axe. Well, he tries to summon his axe, and it doesn't come out. One thing leads to another, and he meets his doppelganger. And his doppelganger has the axe. Eventually, they one thing leads to another, and they fight each other. It turns out that one of them was a clone, and one of them was the original. And I made it so that the player was the was the clone. I let him survive it, which I you know I, I, I we we worked it out. He survived the encounter. And I mean, I don't know if he if to be fair, I didn't know him very well when he played. He was a friend of a friend. He let his character go and go and go. And then I finally was like, this guy can't play with us anymore because he's bringing the entire campaign down. So we wiped him out. And, you know, it is what it is. And he, he didn't yep. play, he didn't he didn't play again. Um, I wish him well. It was just, you know, if you're going to play a game with me, try to have a well-rounded character with some kind of backstory. And don't come in with one thing and then be the complete opposite. Play your character. Play it well. If, right. the, if there's character development over time, cool. If, if you're going to say, I'm a warrior of warriors, play the warrior of warriors. Don't play the, the pansy standing in the back row with all the, and with all the squishies. Are good thing, people. What's that? Vulnerabilities are a good thing. Yeah. 
Yeah. I mean, it makes it exciting. It makes it exciting. Like, that's one of the cool things about you come through a campaign, right? And, you know, you've taken damage and you've come close to your characters come close to dying a couple of times and this and that. And, you know, heck, heck, maybe you've maybe you didn't survive, but your death was heroic and it caused the progression of the story. I'm okay with that, too, if that's me, you know, because that's what it's about. It's about the story. Whether well, you need to play fair, or not. To be fair, you know, a lot of the younger gamers, you know, children to teenagers have a harder time parting with their characters. But another tip that I would give out to would-be gamers out there, you know, especially GMs, is allow story arcs to be concluded. Treat it like a four-issue limited series of a comic book. Have a, uh, have a starting point and a couple possible outcomes. When you reach that point, close the story arc, and you know what? If you want to take out the same characters again, start another one later. But I think I've just found that it's easier to do like a four or five session storyline, close it out, and then bust out the game when you're ready to get going again, rather than to have one going indefinitely. Yeah, yeah, that, that depends on your group. I do agree that, like, so nine times out of ten when I run a game, I usually will come up with some overarching, so something that's a one to twenty for D&D terms idea. So some something that is happening to the world that the players will get drawn into. But as a level one player, you can't go, all right, now you need to wipe out this group of ancient red dragons. You're level one, never going to happen. So if I know that direction you're going, then you go, okay, so now I need to get them to that point. You go, okay, so it starts off and you're going to fight some goblins. You're going to, you know, protect a farm. And yeah, it's going to be two or three sessions to get them some experience and kind of from your world perspective, start to build the name of the players. And then you go, okay, and then, you know, wherever they want to go from this. All right, you save the farm. And they're like, well, we want to go this direction. All right, you go across that direction. Now you might get a hint at something that's going on that's bigger than you. For that point, you know, you still can't deal with it. So you're right. Those smaller three to five session story arcs that you close up, and they kind of gives those characters a feeling of, okay, the characters are being developed. They're, you know, they're growing. And then when you get into that, you know, a little bit longer year mark or whatever, it's like, all right, now we can start, if the group survives that long, to get into the bigger story arcs. Um, some groups are, are good with that. Some groups aren't. Some groups just want to play their character for four or five sessions and not really have an overarching it's like, all right, what are we killing this week? Which is, again, where you, where you have to read your group. But yeah, I definitely agree, though, that four to five arc story when you're starting out with any game, even even a, a seasoned group will help the group continue because, or the, the group to grow and continue to play and have fun. Because you've only got four sessions. And so as a GM, you engage, it's like, okay, who's really enjoying this? Who isn't? All right, so the next arc, I need to shift just a little bit this way so that they'll still enjoy it. So well, instead of locking I'll yourself into a one year. It all, it also makes it easier if like you have people joining or leading the group. It makes it easier to explain comings and goings of potential characters. Continuity. It makes continuity flow a lot easier by closing out those arcs. Because you can also establish the amount of time in between each story arc. You could say right. uh, you could say a couple of years. You could say a week. <laughs> you could say the next day if you wanted to. You can really tailor it to your uh, to your group's liking uh, with uh, closed out story arcs, but that's just, that's just me. I won't I won't ever do an, a, a flat open ended um, campaign ever again. You know, indefinite. You know, it's going to be 
okay, we're going to get this done within six sessions. You know, and that's the way it's going to be. Yeah, you could be my age talking, but that's just how I feel about it. Because you're old. Well, that's, that's your style. And your, well, no, it's your player style, the style players you have, and it's your gaming style. I like the open-ended ones a little bit more. Um, my favorite session I've run was a West End game, Star Wars, that started, uh, I'd say, the first six months I was in Heber, and technically that game is still not done. Um, I think that it's been 10 or, years, 10 or more years since I've run anything in it, but that thing went from 97 to oh, somewhere around 05, I think was the last time I run anyone in that session, and it was a continuing, same same world, same bad guys were doing their, their stuff, characters kept screwing other characters over. Um, at one point, I was running a game at a buddy's house. I was running that game, but I was running three different groups, they're all three different areas of the, the thing, all doing their own different thing, but still kept screwing over each other. Had two player deaths in that session from other players killing them. And, um, actually, so. Ray, you, you're bringing something up that's also kind of interesting. I want you guys to take on this. And Matthew, I apologize if you have other topics you want to cover still. but uh, That's fine. One, uh, one, one question that I do have for both of you is how do you feel about the whole screwing people over uh, concept in gaming, whether it come from the players or the GM. Because, I mean, <laughs> I have my own take on it, but before I share it, I'd, I'd really like to hear yours. So, so, yeah. Yeah. So here's my thing. If it, if it furthers the story, then I'm 100% okay with it. Now, at the same time, you got to know, again, you know, we've said it probably 15 times now, know your group. But if a story is getting stagnant and people are getting too too cocky and everybody's thinking they're invincible, sometimes you got to take them down a peg. And I mean, you know, in the case like kind of you were talking about where, you know, sometimes you can just take an NPC, smoke them, and that does the trick. But in my experience, sometimes you got to take a player out. And yeah, it's, it's, it's something that I want to work into the story. But if it doesn't work that way... I'm not gonna be a liar and say I've never just smoked somebody just because, just to just to do it. Now, now I'm also gonna, players out of session. Yeah, and and I'm also gonna say this though, where if if a character, okay, so if we have a group of characters and we're playing a game, and especially if this is a long term thing, and you know people are progressing, getting stronger, if I if I do take a character out, they're not gonna come in at, at a level one. They're gonna they're gonna have some kind of bonus to start because I want to keep them in in the mix and not just get you know not just be the weakling. But that being said, again and being very truthful, I have smoked people just to smoke them, just to just to prove a point and and get a, get the story re- rejuvenized again. And I'll do it again. Sorry, guys who play with me. <laughs> again, knowing your players, I don't have a problem screwing over a player. Um, again, because it adds to story. Even if it's just one of those things, it's like, okay, someone's really relying on a magical item or a specific ability. And it's like, okay, that's great. It works. Um, it doesn't really break anything, but it's like, yeah, I kind of want that player to grow. Then, yeah, I'll, I'll screw them over. I'll have stuff stolen, stuff broken. Um, I'll throw out a few negative levels of D&D. Um, I've had stolen all kinds of tech from players in Star Wars and other games. Um I've had players diabolize someone and then realize it's like, oh, that probably shouldn't have been diabolized. And, you know, so. 
So 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 you don't roll a handful of dice and then say, ah, that's not enough to kill the guy. Let's multiply it by this other handful of dice. Yeah, I did. That's why I go with the, the screen. So all I've only got to roll is three dice. It makes a little bit of noise, and I go, okay, how many hit points do you have? Mm, not enough. <laughs> yeah, I, you know, I, I, I don't – I have never really cared about a lack of transparency. I mean, I've had my good trends, my bad trends as a GM. Um, I've done good things and bad things. We Everybody knows that. Anybody that's ever played with me knows that I've been a real mixed bag. And I will admit to having a sick satisfaction of making the entire table laugh. <laughs> when, uh, At the expense of someone else. Humiliated. And uh, when one springs up out of his chair, starts pointing at me and saying, F you, Jeff, F you, <laughs> you effing suck. <laughs> You know, if done correctly, once again, it could, if, if done correctly, it could be a very memorable uh, interaction. But if done incorrectly, it could really derail the, the group as a whole. It could derail the experience. And part of the problem, and, you know, a lot of GMs out there uh, know this. You know, if you kill somebody off, sometimes you're dealing, you're, next thing you know, you're going to be dealing with a clone of the exact same character. Yeah. So again, to Radis's point, you really got to know that audience. Yeah, I agree. <laughs> so I, I have a question here. So, kind of to start closing this thing down. So here, here's the question: What is your favorite moment? And I mean, you could take a little bit of time to think about it. But what was your favorite moment in all of your RPGs? Now, you could just throw one out there, or even a couple, but. You know, what was something that really just sticks with you and even to this day, thinking about it brings you joy? Anybody want to jump in on that one? That's a tough one, Matt, because uh, yeah. I've been doing this for 20, 25 years. Sure. It's a, it's a, it's a, You've been doing it for 30 I, years, Jeff. Well, yeah, I mean, it really... Remember, today, as a matter of fact, today didn't today, 40-something 40 this physical day. Yes. This physical day. Now, when we post this, it'll be days later. But on right, this right. day that yep. we are recording, it is his birthday. Yep. Happy birthday, Marty. Thank you. Thank you. Steve, Jeff, Bob. Yeah. Well, okay. I'm going to say two. Th- I'm going to say two things to your question, Matthew. Sure. Though, in, in all, in all, uh, in all fairness and respect, I mean, one the the number one memorable thing that will always stick out to me is nerve gassing Ryan's. Oh uh, yeah, that was a good one. But you, you know the way I described it, you see, I was like, you see him punch at the glass trying to get out of the room, and he starts coughing up blood, <laughs> and you you start to see Ryan say, "No, no," <laughs> you know, it's, it's, you, you just don't forget stuff like that. But uh, what I, what I will say is the most uh, the most uh, favorite thing that I've had throughout my gaming experience is going through the respective generations of players I've had. Um, because uh, you know when you and I first started going, Matthew, you know we were sixth, seventh grade, you know, and then uh, we we had another big run mid high school, Ray, and then I did another big run in early college and. Around that time, we started, you know, that was around the White Wolf times, too. Yep. And uh, and even now, when I still do an occasional session 
or somebody asks me to do a GM of Dungeons and Dragons or whatever, you know, it's always interesting to see how far the storytelling and the players' reactions have come in every piece of evolution. It's evolution that I enjoy uh, from the players, but that's that's where I come out. Yeah, and and that's gonna be that'll be for another podcast. Just I honestly I would love to revisit this part as far as the game's concerned and then talk about the different generations and their styles because at this point, man, six, seven generations, I mean you know, like there's there's gen gen one, which it's the three of us and what, two others? And then yeah. and then gen two is the kids and then gen you know, there's a gen three where it's like we start funneling in i mean it's partly the kids but it's partly new people and those kinds of things but yeah that'll be another podcast for another day but um, better write that down yeah well i already did so it's awesome well just to see a blood vein pop there speaking of those gens just a quick question on that was tracker gen one or two he is technically gosh i think he's more two he's he's like the beginning of two okay that's what i thought yeah well, because I'm, I mean, I'm, I'm talking about like there. Gen One is Scott. Scott's in there, and right? Then, yeah, I knew that. And then, um, why am I drawing a blank? It's uh, oh man, no, Mary wasn't Gen One, was she? No, you, you, the, the, you three, you, you, Scott, Ray, were the Gen One players. Yeah, you're right. You're right. I didn't take on that many players back then. Yeah, and anyways, but um, kind of to get back to the the favorite moments thing. <laughs> there's there's I've got two. I mean I've got a I've got a bunch. We've been doing this a long time, so there's a lot of fun times, but um one of them was the trial of tracker. <laughs> that was that was so much fun. <laughs> and I'm trying to remember exactly how that how it went down, but it was the do you think do you think we should what was it? Do you think we should kill him or whatever? And you're like, yes. Does this character deserve to die? Oh, yeah, does this character deserve to die? And and it was like some random you know, bad guy that's like, yes. <laughs> and everybody was like, oh, we didn't think this was going to go down this way. <laughs> and then um, the, <laughs> the, the other favorite time or other favorite event, whatever that we had was, it was the summer of our seventh grade or so between seventh and eighth grade, I believe where like we were we were so into the game that we would play sessions somehow without the GM and we would just make up stories and and have adventures and whatever and then we'd come back and be like hey by the way we did this and you'd be like all right I'll allow it you know but um yeah, I remember you and Scott did that a few times yeah but it was the it was when the first time that I ex- that we experienced the player actually going bad and so it wasn't just all of us versus the bad, it was some of us versus some of us and how that all played out, which unfortunately we had to take care of uh, one of the one of the story arcs with somebody off, basically off camera because he kind of vanished from the scene for the summer, um, that being Scott. But um, yeah, that was an excellent storyline. I mean, that was that was probably some of your best work that you ever did. And it was, I mean, to this day, I remember all the battles and the frustrations where, you know, sometimes we'd win, sometimes we'd lose as far as the battles go, but like, it just kept going and going. And we're like, it was, it became desperate. Like we, we were like, we have to get, cause I mean, it's when, it's when the game came, became kind of mystical and we're like, we've got, we've got to get the elemental shards and we've, I mean, yeah, it's 
based Final Fantasy stuff, fine. But we're like, we've got to get the elemental shards and we've got to get this weapon because if we don't, the whole world's going to die and we're like fighting with each other and people are stealing them from each other. And man, that was a lot of good. That was a good time. That was a really We'll talk about inspirations another day. Sure, sure. Because it's been, you know, over 30 years, there's a lot of inspirations that have been littered in. Oh, yeah. Woven in there. But uh, what about you, Ray? I didn't say that a lot, did I? What, what about what about you, Ray? Uh, what was some of your uh, favorites? Uh, going back to that same White Wolf game that lasted forever. So, as a Marauder, my thing was I saw Native Americans everywhere. Um, backstory: uh, lost in the Lewis and Clark times in the wilderness, from an English family. Blah blah blah. My first experience with magic, I ended up wiping out the Native Americans that saved me as a child. So when I flipped and went crazy, I see my character saw Native Americans. Couldn't interact with them or anything, but just like walking down the street and all of a sudden, for some reason, there's a name there and staying there. About six months into the game, another buddy started playing, and he played two sessions before I showed up work-wise to get to play something that was out. But started playing, and the GM slides me a note, letting me know that his character is a Native American. My character is, you know, 200 years old and has learned that when I see a Native American, probably not really there. So I choose to ignore most of the Native Americans that I see. So we spent three weeks playing those every night with him. I never said anything to him. No, no one else in the group knew what my uh, what the flaw was, except for the GM. The GM never told him. All he told me was that, and I'd never told him. So it was like three months, and just like outside of the game, he was like, did your character hate mine? I was like, no, I'm just role-playing my character. There's nothing against your character. When we get in game, stuff would happen. I would just completely ignore everything he's doing, and Finally got to tell him, and he laughed. And he's like, dude, that is so funny. For the last three months, I didn't know what was going on. And I was like, my character was, I didn't know, I didn't know how to act half the time. And I was like, I know, I could tell, because your character would start asking other players to ask me something, because you knew I wouldn't answer. <laughs> so awesome. that was just, it was just funny, just watching another player interacting with my character, not knowing why my character wasn't interacting with him. And then, like I said, we got to keep that up for about three months of just natural, real reactions and his character being, you know, pushed into this direction of, I don't know why he doesn't ever talk to me. And I don't know, it just stuck out to me. That was There's a lot from that, that whole session, that series that stuck out with me. But I think that was the funniest. Um, and of course, if you guys knew the people, it would be even funnier because the, the guy who was playing it also was like, I am in real life, full-blooded Native American, and he wasn't. So I explained the Native American in the game. It's like, mm, that's funny. Nice. <laughs> so, yeah. That's pretty awesome. Yep. So any anything else we want to cover before we start wrapping up here? Nothing that I can't cover at a later time. All right, cool. So <laughs> no, I think this is a good one. We've been right an hour, aren't we? Yeah, we're a little bit over, but not. Yeah, it's, it's okay. Um, so here, so here's, uh, the, here's how we're going to close this out. So, uh, you know, obviously, you know, it, it's uh, the middle of or it's getting towards the end of May. Uh, you know, the, the country slash world, you know, has been experiencing quite a few uh, negative things, whether it's the loss of your job, potentially being ill from what's going on, you know, loved one being worried about loved ones and just the stresses that go along with that. So um, I kind of wanted to like close a little bit on a positive note, um, if possible, and, and supporting, trying my best anyways, to support like businesses and things that, you know, I would, I would imagine are being affected quite a bit, um, 
you know, with what's going on, you know, with stores being closed and small businesses and stuff. So the first thing I'm going to say is like, if you've got a local um, comic shop or gaming shop or something like that, and you're lucky enough that you've been working through this and or getting paid and or whatever, as soon as we open up and there's a, a possibilities, go out to those shops, man, and and buy something like buy something because they, they need it. Like a lot of those shops, they, I mean, they survive month to month and they're surviving because they love it. And there's, they're providing us, you know, those places to go to get that stuff. So, um, for, for the local area specifically, um, I'm just going to throw out uh, top cut, um, as far as the, co- you know, comics, they, they sell comics, board games, all that kind of stuff. So, um, make sure that when this open, things open up and hopefully it's, starts opening up here in the next week or so um make sure you go out there and just you know buy something even if it's just a comic book because those guys have probably been chomping at the bit to get that place back open and you know realistically i don't know what the the total effects are going to be on this so again support your local comic shops and i definitely say for us uh here in rockford illinois uh support top cut either store doesn't matter get them so anybody else want to throw something out there um, no, nah, I mean, you hit the nail right on the head, man. I feel the same way about it. I mean, there's a lot of people out there that are a lot, doing a lot of good things, and it's hard to say where where everybody's where everybody's going to land at once the smoke's cleared. Um, I know a lot of people that are doing a lot of interesting projects, and they do a lot of interesting work on the side. Um, more to come with that. That's what I'll say for now. More to come. Yeah. But I want I want to see I want to kind of see where things kind of. What shakes out of the trees in the coming weeks? Okay. What about you, Radis? Yeah. No, I agree. Definitely support your local shops. Um, even even outside of this, if you're getting in gaming or looking into gaming, most of the shops, those people that are working there are not working there for a job. Most of them are working there because they love gaming of some sort. And, hey, they just happen to find a place to pay them to do that. So, you know, go there now to help keep them open, keep those stores open. So, but at the same time, it's a great atmosphere. Even if you just go in and talk to the clerk that's working there, it's like, hey, what do people buy? Um, whether it's a board game, it's a card game. Um, I know the ones here in the St. Louis area fantasy shop, um, most of them have game days. So the shops aren't very large, but you can go in there on a Saturday, and there could be two or three tables set up with board games, and there'll be a sign-up sheet for you know, D&D on every third Friday, whatever they do up there. I haven't been in there for a while and looking at their sign-up sheets because I've got home games. Um, and just talk to them. Uh, they'll make good recommendations, and you know, like I said, most of them will won't steer you wrong. Obviously, everyone's got their opinions, so their opinions may not be exactly you know they may not be the same thing you are into. But for the most part, if you tell them, "Hey, I really like such and such," they're going to point you in the right direction. And most of them are pretty easy to talk to. So they're gamers just like we are. So. Yep. Actually, I'm going to throw I'm going to throw one more out there. It just it just clicked in my mind. It's something that um, the the we well, I discovered recently, but also I know uh, Radis has been there. I don't know if I don't know if you've been there, Jeff. But that's uh, Cataclysm Games. Oh, um, yeah. yeah, that one's. I mean, it's a legit gaming and miniature shop, and um, very friendly people. And um, I know that they, from what I've read on their on their like Facebook page and that kind of stuff, is they had they didn't ever close close like they were doing some orders and stuff. So. Um, but they were also they also did some things with their employees where they were really trying to support them through this as well, even though the workloads were low and everything else. So definitely support them as well. Um, 
and just again just support your local your local shops i mean it doesn't even have to be a comic shop go buy go buy a burrito somewhere you know at a local place support local the fran- the franchises will more than likely keep their jobs okay and i'm not saying that we shouldn't support them too but like get the, the local brick and mortars take care of them you know t- if you take care of them they take care of you we take care of our community and start local you know wh- wherever you are whether it's rockford uh, you know, St. Louis area, wherever, just take care of your local area first. So in that closing, I'd like to thank you guys again. So, uh, you know, Mad Marty, he's got a, a YouTube channel. Go ahead and, Res- go ahead and plug that. Yeah, Mad Respect TV, we're still, uh, unfortunately, with the whole virus situation, my original plan has derailed, uh, but we are uh, doing some occasional reviews and some additional uh, skits, that sort of thing. But uh, uh, I'll probably know more about about where I'm going with that probably within the next two months. But uh, we'll just start there. And then, uh, Radius, you got any plugs that you want to throw out there? Man, I do, I do squat but work. That's so. okay. I, I hear you. Uh, I'm hoping to put more work into this channel though, and help out. So. All right, cool. And then um, so a couple of final plugs. Um, our good friend uh, Raven J, he has a podcast, Retro, Retro, Retro. Um, you can get that check on. Check it out; it's good. Check it out; it's it's pretty legit. Uh, I mean, it it is what it is. It's retro topics, and they they have some really good conversations on that. Um, also, um, check out uh, after we take out the garbage. That's another local one. They have some pretty, you know, it's just basically a husband and wife couple. Sometimes they have a guest on there, and they just talk about the week. And it's to me, it's pretty entertaining. Um, maybe not for you, but God bless you one way or another. And then Saturday Night Freak Show. It's they basically review a movie pretty much every week, and it's sometimes it's uh you know like a black and white, sometimes it is you know something more obscure, sometimes it's I mean they they did a whole series on Scream once that you know which that's pop culture right there. So you know if you get a chance, listen to that as well. It's uh, a guy named Colin. He's technically my cousin by marriage, but he's a really good dude. So yeah, go ahead and listen to those, and that's uh you know. To you, uh, Mad Marty, and to you, Radis, thanks for joining me, and y'all take care. We'll see you next time. Take care. Peace. If you want my body and you think I'm sexy, come on, baby, let me know.